0: on the air. Okay, uh, so first of all, uh, many years ago, when we first started the program, I told the fellows that they could pick any uh, pick any text they wanted and I would teach it on Friday. Um, and they picked, uh, early. they picked Sidka by uh Kolomi Lublin, about which I knew absolutely nothing. Um, so I told them that I would teach it, but I would teach it as a Rosh <laughs> Uh, which meant I didn't have to know anything about it. Uh. <laughs> um, and um, the fun of it was that the, um, it was really fun. It was really fun. At the end of the summer, I brought in uh, Dr. Alan Brill to teach the same text, and no one found any connection between what the two of us had said. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> With that introduction, that teaching a Heshkaffing text as Rosh Hashiva, <laughs> which uh, is an uh, intellectually uh, challenging uh, work. So here's what we'll say. This is the introduction to Shirei Das by It is not by Ravili block, It is by his son. Um, and it is a two-page excerpt from a 20-page essay. Uh, I excerpted it many, many years ago and so I can no longer vouch for it being an accurate reflection of the original. It might be a very tangential excerpting. Uh, when I did this excerpting, I looked up all his quotes of his father, and I was not fully convinced that it was an accurate representation of his father's derech, and I have taught this to a number of people who attended Tells Yeshiva, and they don't recognize it in the slightest. Uh, so <laughs> I'm teaching the text for what it is, but I cannot tell you that this is right—a historically accurate portrayal of the right of the method of the. I can't even tell you that it is an accurate intellectual portrayal of the portrayal of the method of the right, of the Rosh Hashiva of the Yeshiva. It's a text I find fascinating, as is. I prefer to believe I didn't create it. Um, and um, and like many, you know, as many ambitious uh, programs, it may be that it was not actually carried out. Um, and carry out and carry out in practice. Um, as I say, one of the people I've the people I have spoken to from tells it doesn't strike me. But I don't know anyone from tells you know, from, from tells back in the 40s and 50s. So it may be this is what tells was. There are interesting um, attempts at recreating the tells derech uh, in, in various ways. And the question is, is Rishim really the tells derech? Uh, and th- that perhaps we will talk about in in um, in two weeks in two weeks as well. But just that introduction that I'm not making any claims for the historical truth or the authority of it, I'm presenting it as a, as a text, and we'll see what the text means and whether you find it whether you find it whether you find it compelling as is. Okay. Um, so the f- opening line, uh, the English translation is mine. So any infel- infelicity in the English translation uh, can be my fault. Um, so the first line is Dar So the first thing I'm just gonna go on a Margulah a, a margula thing, because I just like mentioning this. Uh, where does the phrase Tuf come from? Who are the Tufsehatira? So it has to be one of my favorite Psukim. <laughs> it's in uh, Yermia. Yermia me a bet pasuk chet. It says lo amru Hashem, Veroim pashuvi, baal, the Ilu I think that pasuk is important um, for one historical reason and one uh, ideological slash theological reason. The historical reason is that it's important is that there is often a claim made that the concept of rabbi scholar as a, uh, as a Jewish authority figure, is a creation of the Second Temple period. And, right, we, have no, we have no record anywhere in Tanakh of scholars per se, and I think it's not true, because if you go through this Pasuk, who, are the, who do you have? You have the Kohanim, those, right, those are the priests. You have the Roim, those are the political leaders. You have the Nevi'im, those are the prophets. And then you have the Tosei Torah. who are they? Presumably they are the scholars. So I think it's a really important pursuit, yes? The
1: only way tovseh Torah could be kind of an ironic statement about people who physically grab the Torah to evidence their kind of devout beliciosity while
0: they're... Koanim, Tavseh Torah, Rohim, Nevim. What are Tavseh Torah doing in there? They're all leaders.
1: Because of the Koanim also. Koanim, mean, Rohim... <laughs> but Rohim is also a general term that doesn't necessarily... say Rohim is not a title that's used to call...
0: It's a political, it's a, I think Kohenim are political leadership. No, maybe
1: it could be, but that's kind of a. I mean, there's no, there's no other place where there's, that, that's actually used as a title,
0: right? It's not. A, I don't think it's a title. I think it's a description.
1: Right. So Torah could also be a description.
0: But a leadership description.
1: Or a deliberately ironic description of
0: certain people. So why are they deliberately ironic, Kohenim? I mean, every, everyone here is. Everyone here is someone who has a role, right? Who has a role and is not playing that role. The Kohenim are supposed to say Yehi and they're not. And the Tosefta are supposed to know me, and they don't. Right? I think I, uh, so. I think Tosefta are scholars, um, and so that I think is important. The second thing is, is at the same time, you know, at the same time as you discover that there were scholars, you discover that it's possible for people to, right, to, to be great Torah scholars and not know God. It's an old critique so you give with one hand you take with the other one hand you establish the you establish the traditionalness of the position at the same time you recognize that the the first time they 're mentioned it 's because they 're not doing their job, and you can have Torah which is, does not involve knowledge of god so I, that's a uh, that's a uh, that's just you know for me for me that's I think that just keeping that pasuk in mind is a really valuable um, corrective to the presumption that because we know Torah, were are right. Um, and it's valuable to keep that critique in mind. Okay, so what we're right. So I, I don't know if, if Rav Block has, has the irony in mind when he starts by tofseh Hatorah. Right, he should be really thinking Yiduni or Lo Yiduni. But that, is, that isn't, in part, what the whole what the whole essay is about. All right, uh, what does it mean to be a, right if you're Toseh so torah What would it require you for it to actually be a day Hashem? Okay, so he tells you Hatorah. There are different methods of study among Tovsei they divide into three. Now I think, structurally, this is actually very confusing because he actually rejects all three of these and ends up with a fourth. Um, so you have to be careful because you might think the third one is the right one, but I think you'll see as we go through it that there are, that really tells you there are three wrong methods, the third of which he says almost nothing about and there's a fourth method which he thinks which which does not currently exist apparently but which he thinks is the is the uh, is the true method okay so well, these three methods are called derekha Pilpol, derekha higayona mishpati and derekha um, havanah so the first thing we, is we have to be aware that pilpol is a term that changes meaning over time historically I think the academics claim that pilpul originally was a particular method of performance art, where the teacher would walk in, the teacher would as- announce a text, the students would have to at- would ask whatever questions they had about that text after preparing, and then the teacher would have to construct a coherent lecture which answered all their questions in a in a consistent narrative flow. Ideally, that was it was a it was a performance art piece. Um, I think there's a famous story of Israel Salanter establishing his bona fides by walking by walking into into town and doing one of, and doing one of those. Um, and we need generally to have a, a better understanding of um, the extent to which people engage in Torah performance art. Um, these, you know, Jeff Spitzer taught me right that the um right, in Midrash is probably is right is a, is a particular mode of uh, oral of oral performance art. And let's say for myself that. Um, I used to really not like giving sermons because it felt to me like it was um, it was fluffy, and it wasn't the Torah I was teaching. And the first time I actually sat down and wrote one, I realized that it was a performance art piece, and a rhetorical performance art piece. And all of a sudden, then it made sense to me, and actually became fun to, uh, fun to write them. And realized this is a way of teaching Torah, but it's a way of teaching Torah in a different form than the shir. Um, okay. So that's a classical definition of pilpul, but it's not what pilpul means here. Right. The second meaning of pilpul is to describe a particular method of study, the method of study that it describes, however, changes over time um, in the, I guess you might call the near-brisker yeshiva. So pilpul is excessively complicated. It refers to Rav Kiva Eger and uh, what Dr. Chaim Soloveitchik called the giant clockwork theory of the Talmud. Where you, know, you think of the Talmud as this massive interconnected set of gears. Um, and if you change one thing, then you have to figure out how, okay, right, if you move that so you're there, then it releases a little man uh, right, with a spring and he comes out of the parachute, lands on that, right? That releases the marble which rolls all the way down. Right, this giant right at the end you sharpen the pencil. Um, that right, that's if you don't like bill pull, right? pill pull really means you know, because usually means to mean anything sharp. So, But that bend this incredibly intricate method of cheshbon um, of, um, of talmudically. That's not what it means here either. Okay, so pilpul here we're going to treat, for now, until we study his description, let's treat it as a generic term for an intellectually complex mode of study. Without bias as to whether it involves cheshbon or ha-kira, um which is the divide in the, in the contemporary issue, whether you're trying to... Um, which way are trying to do it? Okay. Then he has Derech HaHigayon HaMishpati which again we should let him define it but it sounds like some kind of approach which focuses on studying law as law as opposed to studying law as text or as divine word. Right? Well, the presumption is that the goal is to produce law. And then he has Derech HaHavanah HaToranit which since he, we'll see he never really explains we're not going to go into it. Okay, Kolachad uh, ni Mukoimo, which of course is a quote from the Gemara about whom? Rabbi Yose. And you know what it means? He's always on point. Always on point. So what do it mean?
2: Where, 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 where
0: that is, the what said, Aha. It's always coherent. Could be. I actually don't know what the phrase means. I tried a couple of times, I didn't ever convince myself what Kolachad ni Mukoimo means. It's as good as anything. Here it seems to mean that. Right, Kol that each one of them has a coherent defense, of, right, of their of their shita. Okay, here, Balaipilpol, Ra'u v'Hirgishu. Right, the they see and they um, and they uh, experience. Ki Hatarak Dershah He L'mala Misechel HaAdam. Okay, so the Balaipilpol have a true have an experience which she doesn't. She's not going to deny it's a true experience that the holy Torah. Is above human intellect. Okay, what does it mean that the Holy Torah is above human intellect? So, how do you understand that? Why is it? What is the evidence that it is above human intellect? In what way is it above human intellect? You all read the line. What did it mean to you? Yeah, I mean, so I, I,
1: I didn't see like, evidence. evidence, but I thought he was saying that um, we don't we don't ask why, we ask how, and to figure out how we have to look at the minutiae. So I guess you could say that the, the, the fact that there are such a minutiae in the halakha the yeah. is that the halakha is interested in kind of a figure out the mechanics, how it works, and we're not, it, but the why is the mala of them.
0: The why? Okay, so he said the why is a but how do we know the why is Lamala Adam? Why do we ask?
1: I wasn't sure that he was that he was evidencing it. In this uh-huh. sense, but I mean, I guess maybe maybe you could say that because we're so concerned with seemingly inconsequential minutia, that by demonstrate that what we're looking for is mechanics and not for uh, not for a why. But
0: demonstrate that what we are looking for. Or demonstrate what we ought to look for.
1: Um, I think I think that the we ought is not in <coughs> the equation.
0: You don't think that we ought is in we the, the in equation?
1: In this, within this,
0: well, of a given that we have what we have and we have to figure out how Well, okay, so, I, so let's, 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 I have a different causal sequence. Let's play this out, right? Okay. So we, he says that the, the, the of starts from an experience. And the experience is that the Torah l'malam y'seich adam. All right, so what's the content of that experience? The content of that experience is, halachot right? Right, so that's a description, right, that I think. Right, do you, you reading it the same I'm sure, way?
1: I'm not sure, how, how is, how is the yeah.
0: Aha, uh-huh. well, so you... I would, I would
1: think that you have the text. The text has a lot of Right. Text. And so, therefore, I have, like, based on the text, I have an experience
0: on the text. Yes. Okay, so what is it about this text that makes me say this... We're or not, or not, sorry, the text. What is it about this, um, this subject right. Right, that demonstrates to me that it is not susceptible to human intellect? That is mechanistic and minute. So he doesn't use the word mechanistic. He uses the word minute. So let right, so let's, so what is it? Yes, yeah. Aha. Like, uh-huh. So, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's so, so let's play it out, right? In the language, what he says is, the balei pilpul see and and recognize or experience that maybe experience is too tendentious a to translation. That our holy Torah is above human intellect. Right. In what way is the Torah above human intellect? It's of human intellect in the fine distinctions and in the massive level of detail. And they abandon hope. Um, so the word tahlit is a challenging word because tahlit can mean their ultimate, right, their end in both senses. Does that mean right, they, that they they abandon hope of, of understanding their purpose, or they abandon hope of ever getting of ever of ever getting to the end of them? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think the idea is that if you,
2: have, if you can understand at least one of those completely, then you can understand the other. And like I think maybe what you could say is that I mean going back to sort of the immensity, if 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 you can't possibly like encompass every single um, aspect of of uh, Torah at, Tora at that side of Halacha, at that side of side of things of like the Pehalacha, then the, the any attempt to sort of trace it back or forward,
3: whichever way you want to go, is not going to be possible. Huh. You, it's not really drastic. like you. If
0: you if you if you were attempting to like, you think it's too big. So you think it's the infinite level of detail that just makes it impossible to encompass, and that's right, you're defeated by the size. To
2: encompass and therefore to, like, extrapolate any conclusions about uh-huh. the purpose or the, the initial yeah, thing.
0: Interesting. Okay, yes, yes, Ian and then Sarah. So well,
2: I'm wondering about the quantitative and quantitative statement that is quantitatively too large to ever fully grasp, plus well, so it qualitatively is too precise to ever fully grasp, and so we're seriously stuck in both
0: to, so, the sense is a lack of comprehension just because it's too, it's a lack of comprehension. Right? You just can't handle it all. Okay, yes, sir. what do you want to say? I'm inclined to think that
4: deeper Torah and Colossal of the Adam isn't just to say that Torah is written in language we're familiar with, but that Torah is also supposed to be accessible. And it's possible that we'll, we'll read something and we won't understand the true entire
0: meaning of that piece. <laughs> Uh, like to think uh, so you don't like his basic you don't like this I thesis like that's alright he doesn't either necessarily <laughs> right but right now he's just analyzing what the lot of say Then he'll say at the end whether he right, whether he expires your thesis right right now he's just in them they take this experience that's their their starting point is the right is their experience of the Torah as being um, not at least not fully accessible to human intellect I don't have to say
4: also their
0: Yes. If they were good. Yeah. Okay. Yes, Jason. Then you do.
3: distinctions, In terms of how fine they are and also how many of them there are, I think he's saying that people who do both assume that there's some kind of fundamental assumption that underlies all these distinctions. We can never get to that. We can never understand that assumption. It's so complex to put all of the, this information together um, and come up with a grand theory of lava. It'd be too difficult. It, 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 it's beyond human reason. So we have to. So our study of it has to s- sort of start with what we have and what we can understand, and try to fit things together to the best that we can do. But we can't. We can't get to that fundamental assumption because that's beyond human reason. It's no. Okay. The reason why it's so complex is not because. It's, that's the way it developed over the, over the years. It's because that's how it has to be because okay. of the fundamental assumption. Well,
0: Good, okay, that. I can
2: generally I sort of agree with Jason, but I would with a little bit of modification. I would say instead of a general underlying assumption, I understood is that each distinction has a reason. There are a thousand distinctions; they each have reasons, and we don't can't understand them because it's not, we're not God, and therefore. Um, I think, though this is partly going on what he says next, so I can wait there, um, we doesn't have to make sense to people, our explanations, they don't have to be reasonable.
0: Okay, good, so let's, let's, I'm going to put those together and say the way I understand it. The way I understand it is, you have to combine, right, really, Jason, Eliab, and Yehuda, uh, but um, you have, the outcome of this method Right. So the way Jason set it up, right? The, you could say, "Okay, I'll never understand it fully, but my job is to understand it as much as I can." Right. The way Elias set it up, the, right, the the fact that you'll never get there teaches you that the whole enterprise of the whole enterprise of attempting to understand it is mistaken. We can only ask how and not why. Right. I think I, right, I tend to lean towards Elias' direction and say that the ballot but. But with that the Bali people look at the Torah and they say no rational, no rationally accessible system would care about these details. Right? The distinctions we make are so intellectually fine that if you were trying to, as if you were trying with human intellect to build a system, there is no defense for this. And they don't assume that it's, that it builds up over time right Jason's absolutely right they assume that all the details are inherent in the system, and therefore the fact that the system um, cares about such details tells them that you cannot evaluate the you cannot evaluate your intellectual conclusions about the system by any rational means by any stand, any standard any, any any standard of law yes Um.
5: Yeah. what are we trying to understand? Example? It's a set of laws, correct? Yes. What am I trying to understand? The laws are there.
0: Yeah, well, I'm trying to, let's say, figure out <coughs> what I'm trying to figure out uh, some kind of predictive principle for the law. What oh, principle? What's, what to do next.
5: You're trying to predict. You're yeah. trying to, you know, in, other, in some specific case in the future, what will you have to do? So uh-huh. how do you have to act?
0: Or what would the law be? What you have to do is really makes it pragmatic. Okay. I want to. I want to. I want to reach some kind of new. Sorry. Some. When I'm studying it, I want to reach. I want to do something other than memorizing detail.
5: Okay. So what? What are you trying to do? So you're I could to understand what. What's the principle of the law?
0: Like. Okay. So here I will, I will. I will put my cards. I'll put my cards to the table. I think that the Baliathil pool here are briskers. And I think that's right, that's in his intellectual universe, that's who right, that's who he's responding to. Right, the valley of Pilpul are the students of Rifkay. Right, and and what he says is their presumption is that you can't treat Torah as law. Because law has because if you treat Torah as law, then you care about purposes, right? I was exactly right. But no law which has, which has a rationally accessible purpose. Would care about either of these details or the intellectual distinctions that we make. Law cares about results. Therefore, he says, the Balia pilpul, right? Uh, the Balia start with the premise that they can come up, that they, that the conceptual understanding of Torah they have does not have any, does not have to be testable in terms of law. It's a right. It's a private right. It's a private language. You never ask the question, "Why did God want to do this?" Because you don't know why God wanted to do this. All you can try and do is understand what God said. Right? That's the way that, right, the Rubb's famous distinction. Right? That we ask what and not why. Right? So I think that I think that the right, that Bloch understands the Brisker theory well, and that's and that's who the Balya people are. Right? The Balya Pilpel are Briskers, and their premise is that you can never ask why because no, there's no conceivable why that would justify the system the way it is. Law functions in broader strokes. But why? Why
5: should
0: law? Okay. Now, this is not a terribly right. If you know, if you look at the tax code, you would look at it and say, what? We have lots of human like, human codes that are built on, uh, built on almost you know on on almost uh, imperceptible distinctions and endless array of details. And there are all sorts of reasons that human codes have that, among other things, provide work for bureaucrats. Uh, for to provide perfect predictability. There are all sorts of reasons for it. He makes the claim um, that the the fact that the conceptual distinctions are so fine and that the level of detail is so massive, right? he says that's how the Bali people reached the conclusion that they don't have to ask why. We can critique him and say that he would say the same, that obviously the IRS code also comes from the mind of God because there's no human defense for it, which is true. Right, there's no even defensible really explanation for the detail of the IRS code. <laughs> doesn't mean it's God. Um, I think that's what he means. Okay, I'll set that out as a thesis. I think, that's, I think that, that the Balayopilpa are the briskers, and that that's precisely, and that's precisely, right, and, that, and, precise, and Elio's description, but not how, but by right, the question not how, but what. Yes? Yeah. First
2: of all, I think are being unfair and trying to go both ways. He said because it's written by God, it can't be humanly comprehensible
0: not because it's not humanly comprehensible it has to be written by God no I think it, I think he claims again. am not being unfair to, this is he's, it's not like it might be unfair to the a of whether he's being fair to, to right to his target right so I think in right, I think that he right, that he sets them right he says right they they see and experience that the Torah is above human intellect in what in its fine distinctions and precise details right that's what their experience that's what generates their experience of being a Right, they don't look at Torah and say, "Oh my goodness, this is so morally profound right, that you know it must come from a source of ultimate goodness." They look at the Torah and they say, "If this were human, it would be ridiculous."
2: And also, just other thing is that the, are you arguing with the general principle that? that you cannot humanly account for the amount of detail we have in the
0: law. I am saying he makes the No, I'm saying are you. Just do I argue? No, I'm telling you the IRS code right, is, is every bit no, as complex. It does
2: not do with God and I'm saying do you agree not with the outcome, with the premise that there is no humanly human possible reason for having this complex of law? Me <laughs> personally?
0: Law. I don't know if I need. I don't know if I need. You know, I think that you have to talk about why law is detailed. I mean, last time we basically... The law, no... So I think the Ramam reaches the conclusion that sometimes the law just has to be detailed and it doesn't matter which way, right? right? That's one answer, right? right? And that's really the answer in the IRS code, right? Is that It just needs an answer. It doesn't matter which one it is. You don't need to defend why it came out this way. It's just people need to know if they do this. Will they get a deduction or not? Or will they get prosecuted? So you write the law, right? Right, um, which is always a fun phrase, right? Because is how we learn it. You have to be precise, but it doesn't work. You know, it right? ends up getting lay anyway. I always enjoyed that phrase, <laughs> um, but in um, fact, yeah, the person who said it to me wasn't quite telling me the truth when he said it. <laughs> so I always had a particular particular recognition in my mind because it was being said to me. when somebody claimed we did this in great detail and actually hadn't at all? <laughs> uh, yeah, it but yeah, I feel I feel
3: like it's not a very accurate description. 'Cause like at least based on I'm just basing myself on halakha. Yeah. But there It might the, be too the for the assumption do. is that there's there's the world of Halakha is just meant, just constructs its own world and applies it to this world. Right? Yeah. It has its own logic and just applies it we apply it where we exist. But it's a completely internal logic. Right? But that doesn't mean they gave up hope from understanding, it just means they're completely fundamentally different assumptions from what a normal legal system is. But it doesn't mean that it's like... It's because it's so complex, that's why they gave up hope. That's not, that's not the point. Not
0: because it's so complex. He doesn't say anything about complexity.
3: Because it's so fine, so finely detailed. Yeah. But, but I don't know if he's saying that's the reason they made that assumption. I'm not sure that's why they made that assumption. It could be that it's more of a theological point. They think that there's no reason why we should ever assume that should have been. Good.
0: you can argue with his description you can say that actually it has nothing to do nobody looked at the evidence of halakha and said aha it must be x they just are the premise well this is the this is the, right, this a, is the word of god how can we possibly understand it
3: why sh- or, or why should we ever assume that it has anything to do with
0: human good excellent question that's exactly what he tries to answer in the next paragraph all right this is biram however Kishin is bone in bahal when we meditate on the halichot hatara. So halichot is a, is a interesting phrase. Uh, I don't really know what halichot means. Or had right? The red right, halichot, the halichot, as right, a, a fun title. Um, so I don't know what would you. say? Right, I think I translated it as pathways or something like that, right? But that usually people translate as nasivas. <laughs> right? So what really are uh, so what really are halichot? Let's say that it means. Some, it means a degree of, of um, a, a view from somewhere above the details. Halichot means to something something broader than halachot. All right? So kishes in the Ro'im anan we see. After we stipulate the, right, the, the 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 sanctity and the exaltedness of the Torah. ikare Al yisodot hamat imim Sechel Okay, so this is a right, right? It says that let's let's take the premise, the way Jason wants it. Let's take the premise that God is above us. The word of the Torah is totally above us. We can take that as a premise. We can take it as being demonstrated by the level of detail. Bottom line, it's an awful coincidence that lots of Torah looks just like law. Right, that's his right. That's his fundamental problem. Right, why does the Torah? Right, it says Sechle shimushi." Right, is a very, right, is a very, um, you know, is a very sophisticated term. Right, practical reason. Right, as opposed to right, as opposed to um, pure reason. I don't know if he knows, you know, if he knows the whole philosophical tradition, but it wouldn't surprise me if he has a distinction between pure reason and practical reason in his head. Um, he right, says, so "Look at the." the if you look at the Benyim, Ikare in right? So Ikare means the the broad blocks of categories. And I say the category of Nezikin. Nezikin is a category that a practical human being would construct for their society. So why does the Torah have a category called Nezikin? Why does the Torah regulate interpersonal behavior, as opposed to right exclusively focusing on on, on the relationship to human beings and insects? Or on the proper mode of sweeping floors. What it tells you, but right, it says if you looked at Torah and you didn't focus on the details, right? That's why it's important. This right, he, says, he says the Bale pilpul look at the details, and they say if you look at the details, the details don't fit into rational categories. Therefore, the whole system has to be understood, right, in categories that are not that do not conform to what we normally call human intellect. But he says, "Why would you just look at the details? Get away from the microscope. Look at it. Right. Look at it, Look. Look at it. Look at it um, with standard human vision, and you see as a system that, on its broad categories, it basically has everything you would expect of a legal system. It has. Right, it relates to practical reason. Lekochot nefesh adam. It relates to. Right, it relates to psychology. Right. To human potential. It relates to tzarchet t'ikun ha'olam." It relate right. It sets up rules for social stability. Kalei ha mishar commerce, v'tive'ah v'tive'ah bria and natural right and natural needs. Ve'ishar shlo tatem gam So he says. So, therefore he says, you can't say that right. You can't understand Torah properly in a way. Where the results of Torah will not correspond to each of all these categories, right? So that's a very sharp claim. He, right, he says you cannot emerge with a vision of Torah that does not conform to practical reason, that does not conform to understanding of human potential, that does not conform to the needs of social stability, that does not conform to the needs of commerce, and that doesn't relate to right. It doesn't relate to natural right. To the natural capacities of the, uh, and nature of the world. Right, you can't end up, let's say, with the Torah, right, the Torah saying, there is a mitzvah to levitate twice a day. Now, why not? Why shouldn't there be a mitzvah to levitate twice a day? You'll tell me we can't levitate. So what? <laughs> that's, your, that's your practical reason saying it. Right? Why don't we have a mitzvah to start revolutions every week? Right? Or to make sure, right? Why don't we, right? Why don't we have a mitzvah of establishing, right? Of making sure that nobody ever has any authority over anyone else, and to counterfeit money, uh, right? All those things. right, instead, if you look at the Torah, it looks like the Torah is trying to set up, right? set up a system where people, right, where commerce is trustworthy. Um, all the mitzvot depend on, right? Depend on physical capacity. We try and, right? We try and develop human intellect, right? Um, and encourage health and things like that. It says, so unless you were to say this is a big joke, okay? all of Torah is the equivalent of buried dinosaur bones. Every right? guy's trying to fool us about the nature of the world. It's just not going to be true. Right? So therefore, you can't understand... Right? It's not reasonable to understand Torah. Hold on for a moment. To understand Torah right, right, without saying that the outcome of your understanding of Torah has to correspond to all the categories of normal human reasoning about law, including, right, which is a teleological reasoning, which is reasoning in terms of what is this law supposed to accomplish. Ve'aosek be'pilpul, so somebody who engages in pilpul, b'li kur mifchan ha-seichel without testing it in the, in the smelting pot, in the crucible of, uh, of, human, of human intellect, so if you analyze the Torah only asking what and not asking why, you will end up with details that don't correspond to the principles. Okay, this is a, right, it's an explicit. I think it's plausible to read this as an explicit response to Allah Man. Right, that Torah cannot be Halakha specifically cannot be a purely autonomous system, because that would be to allege that the that the almost perfect correspondence between the broad categories of Torah and those of a humanly right a humanly constructed uh, right legal right legal legal system are coincidence. Okay. Right, so he says, so there will be. You'll come out with, you'll come out with, um, with conclusions that do not correspond to the broad principles which they are founded on. Yesha There are times when you will say things that are practic that are physically ridiculous. Now that's an interesting claim. Obviously, if you think that Torah determines reality, you couldn't say things that are physically ridiculous, because whatever you included would be true. So we'll have to figure it out, right? So, but he says, right, you, you cannot, you, can, you should not be able to emerge with a halakha, which says that grasshoppers have four legs if they have six. You can't say the halakha is that they have four legs, they have six. We can't say this pot has no milk in it. Right now, this obviously needs to be complicated because we can distinguish. We can say the law treats these treats those two legs as tails. But yes.
3: Then he's saying, like, let's say, you know, hagala has to work. It has to be true that hagala works. If if we find that we, might, you know, we, we look at a microscope and
0: hagala doesn't work, then
3: then halakha doesn't match up with reality, and so
0: well, so now it might be that we have to redefine what the purpose of hagala is. And uh, maybe the purpose of HaGalala is not to remove all the trace stuff from the pot. The purpose, the purpose of HaGalala is for us to engage in a ritual that makes us relate to this pot as if it had no built in it. All those things can be done. But you cannot say the Halakha is that the facts are that way.
3: It can't be that like, the, the Halakha is that way. Like he, he rejects the concept that something can be Halakha treated as though it's something when it's not that
0: As though is fine. But then we have to explain, why does, the law cho- why does the law choose to claim that something is true which is not?
3: So he's bothered by the idea that, lo- that we could choose something as halakhic in some way uh, without, without a reason for doing
0: it. Yeah. Because so it has to relate, right? So his, his, his on, I'm going to paragraph, right? So his, his first critique is, if you learn this way, you end up with explanations of details, that fail to correspond to the broad principles. My broad principles doesn't mean the abstract notions of law. It means the broad. The broad principles are things like this is supposed to cr- generate effective commercial relationships. If you if you genera- if you understand a particular halacha of mekachum emkar in a way which damages the economy, you got it wrong. Okay and. If you, have, if, you right, if you build a halacha which says right, which says right that which says that reality is this way and it's not you got it wrong, and then his third category right, he said, right which is the one which is um, probably the harshest critique he says V'yesh asher higayon. There are some of them which if you meditate on them with uh, clear with clear and straight logic, timukena asvoru lagamrei they just melt away. Right, there's the Mokoi there's the McKenna Right, sometimes, if you have no... How do you test which distinctions make a difference? Right, that's his fundamental problem. You have to have some kind of... You can always come up with distinctions of two things. How do you test which distinctions make a difference? You have to have some kind of standard external to the system. Otherwise, how do I know... Whether the distinction between, let's say, this is a chi of gabra, not a chi of How do I know if that's meaningful? How do I know if the category of chi of is at all a coherent category? What does that mean? Objects don't have obligations. Right. Is it an obligation on the garment or is it an obligation on the person? What does, it, what does that mean? Now maybe it is defensible, but how do I know? If you just tell me that this is an autonomous this is an autonomous system, right? Maybe it's not an obligation of the government at all. Maybe it's an obligation of the corners. Maybe it's an obligation of the threads. There has to be some way of testing it. So he says that test, the only possible way, the only possible system, external, the only way of testing whether the distinctions are meaningful is on the grounds of some other system, and the ground—the only system we have for that is politics. Okay, yes, you there, yeah. now. Okay,
2: so, um, first of all, I'm not sure if it's necessarily true that you have no way of testing outside the system. You can see if they have predictive power within the system. Say, if I think, let's say, a few of have certain characteristics. And I look at something else that looks like a few of and see if it has those characteristics that okay. could provide evidence without
0: going outside the system. But how do, I, how do I know that the character, I look at something else, but I, the thing, the, how do I know the other thing is a chieb ches, uh, right, I'm assuming the reality of that category. In order that's, to say this is a chieb chesah and that's a chieb chesah, I have to presume exist that the existence of the Reality is not, I don't think it's the right word, it's a usefulness, it's a useful category. Can
2: I predict halachot about stuff by trying to guess whether the ches well, What do you mean by predict?
0: I have all the, right, I have all, right, right. I, I can't I can't know whether new halachot are true based on that, because I don't know what. How do I know? You can know whether old halachot, if all the old
2: halachot support this category, and it helps explain a lot of halachot in terms of why. Well, they, they, he just said that they don't care yeah. why the halachot is this so, way. That's right. Okay, and also just a side point halachot is a reference to Passover Pittakeli, Rahu, halachot, Techa Elohim, halachot, and Nim. Yeah, halakhot.
0: I know, but I don't know what it means there either. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. I know that Rabbi Lamb didn't make it up for the I know that's why he called <laughs> it up. Uh, yes. Okay. So he says, right? So he says, so right? So there, the critiques are a, they, you end up with explanations of the halakha that don't correspond to category, the categories of law that they seem to be a part of that they're founded on, right? B, you come up with claims about reality that are that, right that are that are absurd, and C. You end up, come with intellect. You have no way of testing intellectual distinctions. And sometimes as you look at this distinction, you say, "What?" Right? Anyone? Right? You just say that, that doesn't mean anything. That's a distinction, not a difference. Therefore, he says. He right, says so in this system. He says e f. Now, he, then he has a, a fourth claim, which is a uh, which is a really interesting claim. He says zulatzot. Okay, now zulatzot. I want to be careful. Doesn't mean. That doesn't mean without, without this. It means in addition to the critiques I have, I have launched previously. Okay. This is a really interesting claim. It says that in a system which has no external mode of validation. The only right, purely right, in the system uh, attributed to Allahic man, which is wholly autonomous. So, how do you ever know whether you got it right? Okay, this is a general epistemological, right? The epistemological crisis, right? Every, syst- to, right, every system can only be validated, right? Can only be validated by um, by, something, by something outside itself. So, if you tell me that this is a system, that this is a system where th- I have no Nothing about my human experience enables me to tell whether I did it well or not. So, how do you, so you'll never know whether you got it right or not. Yes?
5: What do you mean get it right? I don't understand what. It, you, you have yeah. a system, you constructed it, right? Yeah. Are you trying to see how well it fits with you know, it's how well it, um, the society will work according to no, the
0: no. system? No, no. Not for him, right? That, you're, right? He's talking to the Valley of Pilpul, right? You're giving a pilpul shear. How do you know that you're right? Right in terms of what? That you got, that you accurately, you accurately describe the mind of God. Who knows if, if any other way will accurately describe God? Okay, the mind good. Of that. That's very, that's fine. He, he makes the claim that it should be a flaw, and he finds it personally. It's a flaw in the system if you can't come out confident. Right. He thinks that a mode of learning has to, enable the, the, has to enable the lecturer in Torah, has to be able to make the claim it has to be that way, and if you can't make the claim it has to be that way, then he thinks it's really deeply dissatisfying. And, you think, and he thinks that these
5: people are not confident in that
0: system. Yes, he thinks that the ultimate end, I guess, of the system is a shear in which you have I mean, lots of possibilities. Bias.
5: He's trying to say what other people are confident in? Yeah. What? That's his
0: claim. <laughs> so why don't you just
5: ask the people if they're confident or not? well I have, why have to hear what he says about other
0: <laughs> Well, if they were confident, he would, he would, he would claim that they're falsely confident. They're just ignoring the cosmological problem.
5: But that, then that's, that's his conscious. bias. That's yeah. He's trying to fit things according to what he wants.
0: Enough, enough, you know. enough. Okay. Economy, right, economy, right, so right. I don't
5: have to listen to him, because I have my own
0: bias. That's true. Okay. Right, you can say, heck, I am confident. I don't care if you tell me I'm confident. <laughs> I'm saying
5: yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very tenuous, it's based on some very tenuous assumptions. So it is. Okay. So, so you why, why does it. he think that this is a good claim?
0: Because he says, I, lo- I, you know, I look at these people, and sure. it seems to him that he thought to them and said does it have to be that way? And they say, it's a possibility. There are other possibilities. Can't really demonstrate the truth of one of them as opposed to the other. She has a
5: problem with relativism. Is that yeah,
0: Haeckel, Lumditch, he has a problem with Lumdish relativism. Okay. Don't have to like it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't we admit that there's like a natural pluralism of understandings in Plata? Don't we say elemental derailment? do No, we say that? So that's an interesting question. Yes. as to how he deals with multiplicity. Does that mean that everything has to, that nothing is certain, or does it mean that certain things are subject to multiple truth? I don't know. You're right. There are critiques you can launch against it, right? The, you can say the whole notion of truth is right. The whole notion of certainty is ridiculous because there are seven. Right. The most you can say is that it's compelling that this is a possibility. Right. Compelling that this is the way is right. It's way too, way too arrogant to claim when we right because really each neshama has its own way. Right? There are lots of ways which you could critique this. Um, yeah. Okay, yes. Um, I think
2: just to, in defense of his claim, yeah. the fact that the rub would sometimes come in the next day and say, sure, yesterday was stupid, It was a pretty, it's a pretty good indicator that he wasn't all that confident. Even if he was confident yesterday, he changes his mind an awful lot. Could be, that are, right? could be what he means by saying it's not luchach liot, is that they do sit about it, they think we usually about it, he goes, no, I was wrong yesterday. And it happens very frequently.
0: Could be, although I don't know if that happens, in, in, That that stops happening. I think we might argue that's a personality type as opposed to a methodology. And yes. the other I
2: mean, is that you were saying that you have nothing in human experience. Yeah. I think some of these people would say you're not understanding the human experience, right, if it doesn't conform to halacha.
0: Oh, uh, I guess you could try that. But, let you know, I, let's take his analogy. The Shah basically did say that. It was like yesterday. Uh, <laughs> well, get to what, uh, that's why we're teaching it. Let, let's to take an analogy. Let's suppose... That um, we're having a discussion about uh, about football, and um, right, and I have a right, and I make the claim that the um, I make the claim that offensive tackles are eligible receivers, and you make the claim that they're not. Now, unless we're having a conversation about football. We have to have something called football that we're having a conversation about. If that appeared in the Torah, how would you evaluate it? What are the... How would you know? are saying that. I would say that we know there must be something called eligible. Right, we'll have all sorts, of fun, all sorts of fun hypotheses about what constitutes eligible. Right, but ultimately, right, you know, we're going to test it on the grounds of whether that makes the game work. Oh, how could you know? Right? How could you, right, any claim you make about the nature of football players and what constitutes right, what constitutes a valid football, right? you have to have some way of testing it. Oh, how could you ever know? Unless you think the system is so well set up that it's a game that you can play. Right, that it gives you enough rules that you can play the game. Right, right. That's the counterclaim. Is that? Sometimes without any experience at all, you can right, You can just, I just give you a set of rules, and it's a, um, right, and we can play logic properly without experience, perhaps. So, just like we can play logic without experience, so maybe we can play halakha without experience also.
2: Well, I, I might claim that because is uh, so
0: deep, those you need. And then maybe.
2: That's
4: yes, um, is it, is one way to understand this that he's saying, because they believe that Torah is so incomprehensible, un- the halakha they develop, is equally uncomprehensible, and like, there's just no, like, it's all, it's pointless, and like...
0: Yeah, and therefore he thinks they can never know it's true, because there is no method of determining it's true.
4: So he's, so he's assuming that this Torah is comprehensible, and we could easily set up a system where it all makes sense. Well, he's sense. Not. He's, just, he's saying that... Well, if he's accusing them of, like, if he's accusing them, or what he's accusing them, then he must believe that there is... Well, a we'll way have to see his, whether he has
0: a solution to it. Sometimes you accuse people of things, and you say, but guess what, of anything better? But he won't get there. He'll try and come with it, right? No, no but, with, but
4: if there are flaws that they believe that it can, it, can never, it can never be understood, he must believe it has to be understood.
0: In some way. Yeah. But he also thinks, he might also think that they're right that it can't be understood, and so he's going to have to come up with some kind of okay. complicated version.
4: So, even if we can't understand it, we should make halacha that it should be understood.
0: We'll see, right? We have tools for this. Dialectic, uh, right? Usually when we, have, when we have paradoxes like this, we say something like, it's a dialectic, or we need to embrace the paradox. <laughs> or, something, <laughs> or something like that. We, we don't have rhetorically how to handle circumstances like that. <laughs> That's such a big deal. Uh, yes, yeah, sir.
5: Um, I'm just a little confused why. Okay, you seem to assume that, or he assumes, or however you're understanding him, that there's some kind of one authority, that the author has one intent. Right? So you, you're trying to figure out his intent of the law what it's trying to do, what it's trying to accomplish,
0: etc. He thinks that whenever you whenever when you state a proposition about Torah, right, there should be some you should have some goal, right? There, there should be some non-procedural truth content to that proposition that matters to you. Right? Meaning but, but, but he thinks, or at least how you're understanding
5: yeah. that there's one way of that the author intended for it to be I don't
0: written. know if I need to be one. Right, so I'm being very precise. Right? He thinks you need that the, a, a Torah proposition should have a non-procedural truth content, meaning that there should be some aspect of this being right as opposed to wrong, which is, which which relates to something other than how you thought about it. Okay.
5: So let's say you have a certain text, right? Yeah. and you're trying to understand the text. Mm-hmm. So if you have a great way of understanding the text, and... Assume you also have, let's say, some broader tools of context and etc. However you understand the text. And that should be fine. Well, why, did, why does it have to be one way or at least some type of understanding of what the author was trying to intend it to be right?
0: What does right mean? Other than I follow the rules. Right? He wants right to mean something more than follow the rules.
5: Follow the rules could just be you interpret the law... The best interpretation you think it is
0: right that's not enough for him
5: and that and that should be enough
0: that's not enough for him he thinks that there would the need to be more he would need there to be some kind of limited set of possibilities at the outcome which if you don't reach those outcomes no matter how well you did it you are wrong and how do you know of those besides good that's exactly his point that's exactly his point how would you know i might one way of knowing is i might know is i go out and i try to play football and it turns out I can't play football. The rules don't work. That would be a way of knowing. Because, guess what? You can't make football out of cement. For hell, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work. So, so you're
5: saying that there may be some <laughs> empirical problems. you go out and you see the reality doesn't correspond. Yeah. But that if there are you know, logical problems, what happens if you see that it just doesn't make sense? That, well, that wouldn't work. That something's... Right. Okay, so it seems to be a sort of some outside tool. But
0: the truth is, it wouldn't matter if it's a logical problem. As
5: in, something... According to one explanation, you have something that doesn't logically follow from another thing.
0: Okay, let's, let me take Jason's question, then I'll do my star routine. Okay.
1: Yes.
0: But he's,
3: I mean, according to what you're saying, so, so he wants, he thinks that we should know from somewhere that there's goals of halakha. There's, a supposed, there's a, an ideal society we're supposed to create. He, all he and and halakha that... is, is supposed to get us to that point.
0: It, 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 all he ma- all that, that's, in this sentence, all he says is that he thinks the experience of Torah right, to be the proper experience of Torah has to be accompanied by some mode of validation that you got the Torah right. And that mode of validation has to be more than I, more than I followed the, the rules of thinking. Right? There has to be some mode of saying that the result by itself is testable.
3: But you could have multiple models that all fit the the halakhic system internally, mm-hmm. right? And so that's that's what that's what, um, Pilple, it sounds like he's describing. That's what Pippal is. That's certainly what the, at least my understanding of of brisker method is. Like there could be multiple models yes. of how you understand the same group of halakhists. Yes. And there isn't a way to know which one is correct, but if it works, that that that's right. He thinks that's unsatisfying. Because it, because it doesn't get to some kind of outside outcome that he wants to happen. Because so you can't know which of them is true. But according to him, though, because the, the assumption of, of the Brisker method is that, is that whatever halakha is, is doing, whatever this combination of halakhas does, that's what reality should be. And he's assuming, no, 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 reality should be something else, and Allah has to match that. Yes. If halakha doesn't match that, halakha is wrong.
0: Yes. And
3: the Brisker method says, no, halakha is right, reality
0: is wrong. This is a polemic! I'm not pretending to this a This is a polemic. Right, here he is. Right, He's part of the losing side, frankly. Right, not he didn't lose as badly as the, as the you know, as the the, right? the Mordechai did. Right, you no, know, right in the late twentieth century there were two. Right? there were two great Lamedanim. Um, right, there was Rechaim Soloveitchik and there was Moshe Mordechai Epstein. And they were the two big. They, they headed the two big issues. This is what historians tell me. Right, they headed the two big issues. And one of them produced teachers who just right, who totally controlled the world, the yeshiva world. And one of them had no students who became Rosh yeshiva. And then right, right. So, so he just lost, right? Nobody reads the Lulish anymore. anymore, um, right? And among the and then Rakhain Salvitch had on... No, no, that's the levush. That's, that's Mordecai Yafi. That's the 16th century. Is a, late, is a late 19th century figure. He's a contemporary. And he had some big yeshiva. And he's one of the great labdunim of the age. But he loses. He loses. You know, in the same way, right, you know, let's say in, yeshiva, in the world of Yeshiva University, so there was a point when nobody could do cheshbon except for Rabbi Shulman. Rabbi Shulman ended up, you know, having a chavruta with me and in Shesh because at least in high school I had learned that way.
4: What do you mean by Khashbun?
0: The whole way we have to keep lots of texts in mind and you have to think about them not in terms of what they are doing conceptually, but but you know but if you sit, but in terms of the way they make positions depend on each other. Look, that's Rabbi Huda, that's Rabbi Huda, so right so you can, so those two positions right, so you can't hold this and hold that at the same time and right and this is the Havamene there and that's the maskana there, right? And you have to write that those right? That kind, right? So that that whole method at one point in Yeshiva just lost. No one knew how to do it anymore. And I, after three years in yeshiva, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and that's why I was happy that I, I came here to learn through a shulman in the, in the summer, and he started giving shirt, and I realized, oh my goodness, I can't follow that kind of shirt anymore. I totally lost the ability. I don't think anybody in Yayu could follow him at that point. Um, now I understand he has to meet him again. Uh, right, then he was the bocheh. Um... I think, right, so those methods happened. So Tells was a particular method, Right? or Blockhead had his own method, and he was largely losing. Right, because all of Atrix were winning. <laughs> it seems um, like they're dumb. Yeah! Yeah, this is, uh, but I'm, you know, I always love quoting uh, Whit- Whitaker Chambers, uh, describing nation- when, when Buckley final National Review. So I think Whitaker, I think Whitaker Chambers told Buckley that they were on the losing side of history. As I think Buckley wrote on the first issue of the National Review, National Review stands athwart history shouting, Stop! <laughs> 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 he assumed they were gonna lose and communism was gonna win was no, right but it was worth fighting. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, somebody has to make him a call. He knows full well, right, that the volley of people are winning. Okay. Lochain, he says. <laughs> This is a very pleasant and life right, and lively path. Students like it. It's fun. We enjoy it. We might even get a spiritual high out of it. Nonetheless, he says, Adam al-Yada amita Shel Torah. Amita Amita Shel means something. And it doesn't mean that. Now you might say, well, yeah, Mithashal Torah means. Torah is an autonomous, self-validating system, so why should you engage in this? He doesn't like that. Alright. I really didn't make this up. <laughs> it really was written by <laughs> Shiva in the 20th century. I <laughs> um, really from that. <laughs> uh, okay. Now we get to Baalei HaHegayon mishpati. They chose the opposite approach. Now here I really don't know who he's attacking because it sounds like he's attacking mishpati-free academics. I don't know how he knew any mishpati-free academics. I don't know who they were. So I'm really not at all sure, I have to say. I'm pretty sure the Balei HaKilpah and the Briskers. i really not at all sure with the Balei and Mishpati. We'll just look at the description. Okay, it so, says, They have succeeded in um, in... In successfully um, decoding or interpreting many, right, many of the sections of Torah, they looked at Torah. They said, "Oh, look, this, right, this makes sense." Right? And this, you know, the, really the the fundamental person that he's taking on is the Rambam. Really, that's the best thing. I don't know who his contemporaries are, right? You say, "Why do we do this?" Because it's healthy. Why do, right, the whole right. All of Torah can be described teleologically as an attempt to, as an attempt to produce a sound mind and a sound body, so that you can have true ideas.
4: So the, the exact opposite of the people, Like everything makes sense.
0: All, everything has to make sense. clear, right? And they start off on the presumption that everything is comprehensible. And, and it looks. He said, "Look, lots of Torah works that way. If you look at right, if you look at this halakha, right, they sound this halacha, right. They all seem to be built on inyanim tvi'im on natural matters, right? There is such a thing as teva." And that correspond to human intellect. to human potential. and to social order. So what's wrong with this? Ulam. ta'am Somebody who has already tasted from the tree of life. And has merited experiencing the holiness and sweetness of Torah. So the first thing he says, experientially, this just fails. You emerge with a desiccated vision of Torah. Because what is it? It's just law. What's the
1: problem with just law? Yeah. Yeah. That was exactly his af zoni imam
0: That's right. <laughs> so the ballet pilpal, the Bala Pilpul, are fun okay. and spiritual and all that. They're just not Which true. Like and the G'nosh Peti looks true, but oh my goodness, why would anyone do it?
4: So it can't be right because it just doesn't work like to learn
0: it? Ah, like, he says because, way? no, so he says he has a different experience. When he learns, when he has tasted the Eitz Chaim. So he knows what the learning of Torah is supposed to be. So even though this appears to be true, in terms of the content, it's false about the experience.
4: Because
0: it's too neat. Because it's too dry. Right? It's dry and cold. And Torah, is, and Torah is, is alive and sweet. So this just can't be right. Because it just can't be right. Because the study of Torah is supposed to be inspiring. And breathtaking. Yes, yes. What's the
2: source of this assumption?
0: What is the source of the assumption that, that Torah is supposed to be alive? He has rhetoric. It, you know, he's looking at Gemara. The Gemara says it all the time. I think it's a reasonable thing. But you can say, no, you know what? That's not really what, you know, that's... It's by the grace of God. We right? really the shy label thing again, right? So, sometimes God lets us read great poetry. And that's why he gave us a Galata, if you want to study Torah. But Halacha as well. No, you could just reject this assumption. Who says the study of halakha was supposed to be interesting? And fundamentally, that might very well be what the Raman would tell you.
2: Why can't this be interesting
0: also? Ah, why does he not find it interesting? That's maybe right. So some of us might say, I find practical law really fascinating. <laughs> right? Just like you're certain. Right? Very certain, in your, right, and you're right, you love law. He, can't, he doesn't find either of these possible. He doesn't think that a riskier can be certain. He doesn't think that a lawyer can be unworthy. experience on board. is wrong. Either. We can deny each, right? As yeah, you can deny each of those things, or you can say as I think you can take I think the Rama Lushitaso would say, who said right the study of halacha is not interesting, but who's right because it's not supposed to be. Philosophy is supposed to be interesting, and this is still the challenge we have in most day schools. of halacha as taught right, because no one has yet found a way of making halacha interesting. <laughs> right, lamedus is interesting, halacha is not. Now I think you know, say my own experience, I didn't find halacha interesting until I was in my late twenties. And you know, when um yeah, it was <laughs> Kata I had Um lots of lots lots I can remember about um, about uh, the um shall we say lack of devotion I had to the admission of Bureau requirements <laughs> in the in, the, in the program. Um which was I took with roughly but there was a it was a it was. When I took intro to, um, to the ancient Near East with Professor Eichler, he told us up front that this was the first day. He said two things, one of which was true one of which was not. He said, I am a boring man and this is a boring class. He's a very interesting man. <laughs> it was a boring class. Because <laughs> it, was, it, it was structured as a series of readings. And at the end, because we wouldn't do the encyclopedic readings, he gave us quizzes every period. And the quizzes were th- with lists of names. And you had to figure out which didn't belong. <laughs> and the correct answer was these are North Korean gods and these are South Korean gods <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> so I would write the answers like these have had minor league baseball teams named after them <laughs> and these have not. <laughs> and they're to prove me wrong. <laughs> 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 this, Mr. Brew is sort of like that. <laughs> so I got older. I realized, you know, when I got asked Shilas, all of a sudden I realized this was that this was really important and valuable and fun, but I, reading Mishnah Bru never did it for me. Um, it's a, I read Ketir Shulchan Aruch in 7th grade and couldn't pick it up again until 5 years ago. Uh, and in 5 years ago I started reading and said, wow, this is a fascinating book. Really, it's a fascinating book. Um, but I read, I spent Pesach just reading through, uh, reading through Ketir Shulchan Aruch as far as I could. It was fascinating, but as a 7th grader, it looked dull. It was dull. Um, so he thinks that, that law, that that's boring. And you don't have to agree. Right, you could be, you know, the policy wonk. And I, I am a policy wonk, so I don't, you know, right now. So I don't, I don't find it, uh, I don't find it compelling at all. This is his claim. Okay, but then he says, okay, he realizes that you're not going to be so happy with his claim that that can't be true because my experience doesn't conform to it. So he says, "Gam elu halachot hamati." Sorry, see line. Vlood. He says, "Ela be-met, you know what? There are areas of halakha that don't match it. Right? Not everything in halakha is perfectly explicable in sociological terms. Right? Now, I don't know if he's entirely right, because it might be, and we'll have perhaps, perhaps uh, Professor Sosis when he comes in to talk to us, talk about that. Maybe everything in Torah is anthropologically explicable. Right, if we look at the way the religious impulse is played out in human societies everywhere, maybe there's really nothing in Torah that doesn't have some kind of analog um, in terms of a the general theory. But he makes this claim that there are certain areas of Torah that do not seem to him to be um, right to be explicable via um, right via the analysis via by, by legal an- analysis. And he says even those, those areas of halakha that correspond greatly to practical reason. Okay, right, he says, right, he says that it's, if you look at Torah, you see that, again, the details don't correspond to those principles. Now, this could be a circular argument, because it could be that the reason for that is that the briskers got a hold of Halacha somewhere in the middle and that's why the details don't match, because it was interpreted incorrectly, and if if people only had consistently interpreted halakha that way, then it would make sense. But he assumes, right, taking the body of halakha as as he has it as a given, he says, you know what, if you look in details, you discover that, look, there are aspects of halakha that don't actually encourage commerce. There are aspects of halakha that don't actually encourage social order, even though they seem to be in the areas which are supposed to encourage social order. And there are areas that don't seem to... Right to, nat- to naturally encourage, uh, to naturally generate psychological um, fulfillment and things like that. So it's not really a, a sufficient defense. Um, right. um, now he quotes his father. Right, it's a Torah word intended as practical law. The purpose of Torah was just to tell people how to behave. And we wouldn't have all this, have everything be so so profound and right, so profound and fine. Okay, so his father makes an actually interesting different critique which he assimilates this. His Father critique is law is not supposed to require so much intellectual effort. Practical law is supposed to be easily comprehensible. But our system is wildly complex. So it can't be that, that the purpose of this legal system is law, because if the purpose of it were law, then it would, be, right, it would be painted in much broader strokes. It's not quite the same argument that he made earlier, but he uses it for that purpose. Okay, so that doesn't work either, because the truth of Torah is, right... Is not reductionist. You can't say that Torah fun- that Torah is just a better version of the same system as, that human being could have come up with. If Torah, Torah seems to be constructed in a way, which right where the deta- where there are broad principles that generally correspond to categories of law, but the details don't seem to specifically be generated by those principles. So we have a paradox. Well, here's a paradox on the one that. He's not willing to deny that the Torah looks like a, a, a human legal system and the correspondence to the categories of purpose, the teleological categories into which we would put any other legal system can't be coincidence. And yet he's not willing to evaluate the details in terms of those categories. The, 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 the details have their own legitimacy and they don't always match. So there has to be some purpose beyond those categories. Yes? I don't
3: understand. Is he only talking about Nazikin? Like what? I don't understand. Everything.
0: But... Paradigma is the way, of, right? But Tuma like cutting with tithos,
3: he thinks it, He thinks that some people think that that matches some, some purpose in anthropologists the
0: world. do read Mary Douglas. Lots so of straightforward anthropological explanations. But, but it didn't find
3: right. in in the Torah world who thinks so.
0: that? I think that the Rambam thought that. Yeah. Right. This what this was. Philosoph-
3: this was part of his criticism of Briskers, also. Was, was, was what he's now using to accuse...
0: He thinks that they both have a point. He's setting, he's setting up polls. These people focus on details, and they ignore the categories, so they can't be right. These people focus on categories, and they ignore the details, so they can't be right. It's like most of halakha
3: almost doesn't have anything to do with...
0: He doesn't. Why? I get it. Daily life. In your, what do you mean daily life? What, what area of halakha does not correspond to an area that you would, have, that you would find in any other religious legal system?
3: You know, religion. Okay, but not mo- a lot of religious
0: systems are not necessarily logical. Well, they're not divine either. They 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 match certain human put it right. Say, well, bring Dr. bunch talk about this. There seems to be some kind of universal human reaction to trans- like, trans- transcendence. Like moloch, like like moloch
3: doesn't not for the purpose of creating social order. Like, mo- like whatever religion did moloch, they did that because. Right, religion. So, somebody did. Moloch is a way of, way is of, sublim- of
0: sublim- uh, Right, is a way of subduing sublim- the human power. Uh, the human power for violence capacity for violence also it's right we do it for animal sacrifice right? but if you say the purpose of animal sacrifice is to sublimate the human potential for violence now we have a, an explanation of halaah that conforms to the kochot nefesh dump it's very hard to come up with a category of you know you're talking about clothing, right? Well, so we have all sorts of anthropological categories about the importance of clothing and how ritual, right? How, right? Not so much, right? right? There we get to the Kantian problem, right? That, that human beings always perceive order. And Torah's been around a long time, so it'd be really unlikely that there have been hundreds of practical explanations of everything in Torah by now. There are people who like really like it. I have students, it always astonishes me, but I have students every year who really say like one of, that they were really, really moved by the Ramos time and Mitzvot and it makes so much sense for them to not eat pork because once upon a time pork gave you trichinosis and they say, what? why does it make sense for you to eat pork, not eat pork now because 500 years ago you believed that pork gave you trichinosis right, or a thousand years ago, but they say, yes, that makes a lot of sense now the system, now the system works for me I, I generally find them wholly incomprehensible but, you know, but I am aware that, that I have students like that. Lots of students like that. Um, okay. So now he says, I, it, so I don't remember saying anything useful about the third. The third category tries to meld them together, and it ends up just being amputated, get the worst of both worlds. Right, so don't try the compromise. Yeah, okay, compromise, right? compromise doesn't work at all. Okay. Oh yeah, we just have to take it at. That's what he says. I mean, again, he could have a long explanation of it. I, my, uh, I boiled it down to, these, to that two sentences because when I read it, that's all that came out to me was it just doesn't work. I don't, I don't remember him saying anything that was more useful about why it doesn't work. But it's always the question, right? When you try and combine two things, you end up with the best of both worlds or the worst of both worlds. Um, you know, obviously, you can think of analogies where you end up with the best. You know, right? The difference between, uh, let's say, for some people, you know, vanilla with uh, vanilla, vanilla with chocolate fudge, um, on the one hand, as opposed to uh, sugar and caffeine-free soda. Um. <laughs> one way is better, and one way is just meaningless. <laughs> um. All right. Okay. So it turns out that all three methods fail. Okay. So now we're we, we're going to try and find the right way. The right way is the way. We can we can uh, uh, we can reach its intellect. It's right. Its intellectual core and to understand it in terms of its own truth, The true way, to, the true way is the foundation, right, is, the, is the way of the founders of tells. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Here we, right, here we go. כל העניינים Okay, so we have a um, right, so we have um, a vision. We're in, we're in a Kabbalistic vision, and there are infinite levels of reality. But all the levels, but every, all the levels of reality are in one-to-one correspondence with each other. Okay, I mean right there is, right there is nothing at one level of reality which doesn't exist in every other. And you can think of it in an emanationist model as a, um let's imagine, let's say you can say that you have a you have a screen, and you're projecting light through that screen, and so the image gets fuzzier and fuzzier as you get further away, thinner and thinner, right, Or thinner, right, or th- right? If you stretch it, it gets thinner, but basically. The image will always be exactly the same. Right? Everything, in, everything in one image will, be, will appear in the, will appear in the other. Okay, you can just spread it out. It will get right. It will get harder to see thinner. But every, but basically, there's a one to one correspondence, <clears throat> right? <clears throat> so the lowest level of existence, which he which he calls uh, attenuated attenuated existence, right? You have to know what the meaning of the word is is. Right, the meaning of the word right, there's primary existence and second and right and, and infinitely secondary existences. Primary existence is is uh, spiritual, intellectual, right? It's a platonic, right, neoplatonic vision. And um, we live in this attenuated form of existence. But just like there is nothing in our physical right in our physical existence that doesn't have its root in the spiritual ones, right? Meaning that you can draw a, that from every point on in physical existence you can draw a line that goes up to the, right, that goes up to spiritual existence. You can draw a line from everything up there, to something down here. Right? And I think that we should just assume it's the same line and that it's one-to-one correspondence. Okay. So it turns out that we learn, So it turns out that we learn, so this is a big leap. He says, so if really, if really, the set of things is the same in the up right, is the same in the upper world and the lower world. The only difference is the right. The only difference is the um, the thickness with which they give existence, which they have existence. So now we can say he makes a very Kantian move and he says that existence is not a predicate. Um, you know right. Pardon? Very
4: bad.
0: You don't like that move?
4: No. Wait, what do you mean by that?
0: Um, the ontological the ontological proof of of God, one of the ontological proofs of God is that God exists by God exists by definition, because God is defined as a perfect being, and it would be a flaw in his perfection were he not to exist. The response the Kant said is that existence is not a predicate. It doesn't change the object to say that it is or isn't. So it's not less perfect because it isn't. isn't right? It's the same. Right? It's the same being whether it exists or not.
4: So how, how's it being used here? So here
0: he says that when the our existence in this world and that exi- the difference our existence in this world and the ultimate truth is only is isness. That one is that one is is more than ours is. Because so that, has, that has thick existence and we have thin existence.
4: But what does that solve?
0: Therefore, they're really the same thing intellectually. All right, you can talk, right, just like in the world, you can talk about God. The conversation about God is the same whether he exists or not. So the conversation about our world is the same as the conversation about the, the, the ultimate reality. And therefore, whatever categories are useful for understanding our existence... Fundamentally, also have to be the categories of understanding Torah on any level, because there's no difference between this world and right, and any world which, and any and any ultimate any ultimate divine truth, because there's only one existence. Right? Everything is the same. It is is differently, So we, they, de-
4: we, we, we determine what's right because we can.
0: So he says so the problem you have, right? So the The paradox we've been setting up is we experience Torah as transcendent. And yet we're trying to use mundane categories to comprehend it. It's not a problem. Because mundane categories comprehend the transcendent. Because there is no fundamental difference between mundane experience and transcendent experience. You just have to get the correspondence right. You have to know what about our existence corresponds to what in Torah. Okay, so he says, So our holy Torah is the soul of the creation and its roots. On the basis of which the world was created with, every, with all the Eninim here, is, I think is a technical meaning. Eninim means things like um, social order, or commerce, right? That's what he always use the term, right? So all the broad categories of our world have to be Torah categories. It's not the Torah corresponds to them. The Torah is the source of them. Therefore, God created the world after looking in the Torah, so there can't be anything in the world that isn't in Torah. Right? That would be right, that would be... Um doesn't necessarily mean that there can't be anything in the world in the world that isn't that in Torah that isn't in the world, but he takes it as a given. Right? That God, God didn't just look at Torah and say, Oh look, here's a useful piece. I'll create the world out of that. Right? God, right. The world the Torah is the blueprint of the world, so everything in the Torah is built. Right, we'll leave out you're about to ask me about Ben Sora Murrah. Right, we'll leave that out for now. <laughs> right? It's a shitas Sy that Leos. It really is
2: there's nothing in Torah that never happened without
0: Okay, it may not... Because you're looking for the correspondence in terms of what actually happened, and he'd be, be finding that the correspondence is in some kind of psychological phenomenon. What could happen. But, yeah, it has to exist, it has to correspond to something that is in the world. It doesn't have to correspond physically, it corresponds correspond mentally, okay. psychologically. And it's a Shittas Yachit. Ram doesn't pass in that way. Yes? About like are things that we ena- changes that we enact, um, the, on the Torah does that have a we're not changing the Torah no. we're, we're living out the Torah so so does that does our experience of the Torah also change in the higher levels that we experience, the, I'm not, like there doesn't change the Torah
5: I I, 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 I,
0: I mean what if we reinterpret the Torah right yeah we'll have to get there okay. that's always going to be a problem okay now, but now he makes, he makes his first move is, he says there's one-to-one correspondence between the upper world and the lower world, and that means fundamentally that there's one-to-one correspondence between the Torah and the world. Everything in the world is in Torah. Everything in Torah is in the world. Everything you can use to understand Torah must be also useful for understanding our, right, our physical and psychological and spiritual reality. And everything that we use to understand our physical, psychological, and physical reality must also be part of Right, must also be useful for explaining Torah. Because they are in perfect correspondence. Then he makes one more beautiful move. He says, <speaking in Hebrew> But the human soul is a microcosm. Right, literally, the human soul is a small world. And if the world corresponds perfectly with Torah, and the world corresponds perfectly with the human soul, that must mean that the human soul corresponds perfectly with Torah. Now we have a three-way, right? We have a, tri- a perfectly, right, a, a triangle of one-to-one correspondence. Right? Soul, world, soul, world, Torah. Okay. So when you are authentically yourself, then you will be in perfect correspondence with Torah. Okay, now here he invents a really right, wild category, right? Which he invents false consciousness. Whenever you have a thought which is not in correspondence with Torah, that is not truly you. When you truly when you when you think as yourself, you will be in full correspondence with Torah. Okay, that false consciousness is always a very hard category to claim. That's his claim, right? That um that, any, any time you make any anytime, any any error is not an error by you. It's right. It's a distortion of yourself. Yes. But you you took for the distortions? What's accountable for it? Uh, you, you're still accountable. Yeah. So I have to figure. figure out why that is. Right. Right. Well, the moral challenge and all. But fundamentally, things when you are truly yourself, you right. You get Torah right. Okay okay now it's a very strong claim which is going to back away from it a little bit that the only way in which you can find the true knowledge of Torah is in yourself right so really the attempt to discover the truth of Torah is an attempt to right, is an attempt to know yourself Socrates has it right that the image the charge is to know thyself. So if you know yourself properly, you will know all of Torah. Because all of Torah is in you. Yes.
4: And if everyone did that properly, we'd all, we'd all come out with the same result. Doesn't say that what like, do you would you claim that? Well that seems like it would end like a very very Well say
0: yes, we'd all come out with the same result, but it might not be perceptibly the same result. In the same way that you know lots of things look different, but all difference is an illusion because everything is God. Right, that's the fundamental Kabbalistic notion, right? that, all, right, that appearance is always, a, is, is always an illusion. And then we can have fun doing that you know, scientifically. Ultimately, all of matter is made of the same fundamental part or parts. And so difference is an illusion, or we can do it from a, you know, from a philosophic perspective and claim that we only see phenomena, but the noumena of everything is unknowable. You see the light that bounces off something. So appearance, right? but what do you what do you know about what I am in terms of color? Nothing. Or my shirt. You don't know anything about my shirt either. All well, you know is that my shirt reflects something. You don't know what it is. Right? What it is is really no different than than Jason's laptop. It just reflects different things. Right? So you're going to make the same you can make the same argument in lots of different ways. We'll um, make it capitalistically for today. Sure. Okay. So now he says now, so now he says that really. The process of studying Torah should be a process of self discovery. Brahm, however, it's not so easy to find your true self. It's not so easy, right? It's a deep modern, modern philosophic problem, right? What, what constitutes authenticity? And all of you, I guess at some point, should go out and read Charles Taylor and the sources of self. Um, and other books like that that have attempted to address the problem of what it, what it means to have a true self, and is there a true self that is something other than a social construction? Um, leaving aside, and then you have to deal with the the, the neuroscientists who think that there is no, that the self is an epiphenomenon, that it, right, all we are is, is reduced to you know, neurons firing, whatever. However you want to deal with. Okay. <laughs> um keivan sichle Yuchal Adam l'mzil bo beatzmo, baani ha'plimishelo. In the right the, the, the internal I. In Cain, gamahit alut p'ha'vanat sichlei haTorah, alut b'midat hit alut nefesh Adam. So your capacity to understand Torah is a function of your spiritual level. Um, okay, right. Ultimately, 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 the um, the the truth the truth of Torah is um is a function of how well you understand yourself. And then he gives you two categories for self understanding. One is you have to under you have to understand your identity as a Jew. And right? that's the first the first truth you have to know about yourself is that you're Jewish. And the second truth you have to know right and the second truth is you have to fear God. Yes you know
2: is he uh making a pun? Veshit by saying She
0: Yes, I think that I think that, that's, uh, that, that is, that, that is uh, uh, good. I think that's a powerful point. Right, that it, so he goes, Rez Yichach Meir Hashem is really second. The first thing is, Yediyah Tzmachah. Right, so first you have to know who you are, and who you are, and the thing you have to know about yourself is what it means to be Jewish, and you have to know about God. Yes, Jacob? Uh, I was going to ask, what does
5: he propose
2: knowing you're Jewish? Like, your identity as a Jew means, does does he go on to say anything about
0: it? He he probably, I'm sure he does go on to say, I don't remember him saying anything. And the truth is, I remember I put this in just in case you got too attracted by it. So I think you should realize that one of the problems is that it really doesn't... It's a very interesting claim, why should that be the first thing? It shouldn't be the first thing to know what it means to be a telemelikim. So if I were writing the same thing, I probably would have said the first thing to know is, right, is to understand yourself as a telemelikim, and this is where... Uh, where, you know, where I probably would part with strongly uh, with him, in case you think I get too attached to this. Yes, from
1: How does it follow logically you the Jewish? The world was created by the blueprint of the Torah. All of humanity carries within the, the blueprint of creation.
2: So why does it matter that you're Jewish?
0: I, I agree entirely. I put, I, I put this in because I thought it would... I thought if... As cause I recall, when I first excerpted it, I said, if I leave this out, I'm going to make a great universalist argument because that appeals to me. And that wouldn't be fair, because he's making a very particularistic argument. Uh, to me, this leads in an obviously universalist direction. All human beings have souls that, that encounter all of the bria, uh, and it should be right. He doesn't. Why does
1: he think it follows logically?
0: Uh, it's not a. I, I'm not going to be able to go there. I, just, I had to put it in because I would be honest. Wouldn't be honest not to. Yes.
3: It's sort of animals. Right? Animals are also alive. Everything
0: yeah. contains everything, right? Everything is a microcosm. So, so, so it's wh- not I, I mean it's not like a bunch you of
3: consciousness. What? It contains a
0: bunch
3: of consciousness. Yeah, I I, okay. I put it, it in arbitrary.
0: I put it in likely if I understood how we did how we did it it would upset me.
2: Animals of consciousness.
0: On it right, likely it would. So I'm I just put it in because I thought that it it wouldn't be fair if I didn't. But I'm not gonna try to, to and I could I could translate it in modern terms that you know, that there's that it's an essential element of identity, and any human being who understands their own identity perfectly will get reached the same result. But you are Jews, and so these are Torahs, so you have to understand yourself as Jews. But I'm not sure that's what he means at all. Getting okay. Okay, the grand climax. Okay, now he says, Um, Mimsa sh'adam la modet et midato, the magal d'arko, this is a very important point. It says that you realize that your progress in Torah is going to correspond to your self-knowledge. So you have to make sure not to sell yourself short. But you also have to make sure not to oversell yourself. Because you really can, right, even if, if you're brilliant, but unaware, you're going to make mistakes in Torah. Right, if you're analytically brilliant because you won't, have a, right, you won't have the way of testing whether your analytic truths right, um, are, match who you really are. Right? So that's, that's a really powerful claim that the capacity to get Torah right is a function of your capacity for self-understanding. And that, I think, is a, always a very powerful claim. I'm not sure it's true, but it's a very powerful claim. Then he, so he says, Chedei is eshteh ediotz, um, right so in order to get these right these two truths, the truth about yourself and the truth of Torah. So the first test of whether your mind is properly aligned with Torah is So the first test, right now, as to trying to solve this problem, how can you be known? How can you know that it's right? Which he thinks is essential. You have to be able to say this is what is true. This is what it has to be. So the first question is: Does it correspond to reality? If you have a vision of Torah that does not correspond to reality, it's just wrong. And that's the first test. Right. And the first test of Torah is: Does it make sense humanly? The second, right? The second. The second move is that any time you experience an explanation of Torah as final, as opposed to as a doorway to something else, it's wrong. The nature of a true explanation of Torah is that it should lead you up an infinite path. You should keep, rising through the world. So, anytime you see, an ex- anytime you experience an explanation as sufficient, the mere fact that you experience it as sufficient proves it is false.
4: Does that mean we can't have like a, a single halacha? Like, 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 you can't a, ever under,
0: You can ever feel you understand it fully, right? So that's it, right? That's, so that's his way of coming out. as you had if you feel you don't understand it at all, if your explanation just leaves you cold. Wow, right, in the sense, especially we say, wow, I don't get that at all. So you should, right, so you know, we're not, we're not, um, we're not Tertullian, right? So you know, Tertullian the church father famously said that he believes in Christianity because it's so absurd no human being could ever, could ever believe it, right, could ever have made it up. So he thinks that, that that, he thinks that there are certain people who make that argument about Torah as well, right? This must be the true explanation of the halakha because no human being would ever think of that. Nah, that's just wrong, Right? <laughs> every, right, every halakha has to be humanly explicable, but also has to be, you also have to feel every explanation, you have to come up with human explanations, but the human explanation has to feel insufficient. That's what he thinks is like where truth is. is like that's right, that's where truth Truth is an explanation that, is, that feels accurate but, um, but incomplete. Yes? So he thinks on the
1: one hand that um, our experience of reality is muddled and the goal of learning Torah is to figure out the overlap between the ideal reality that is Torah and kind of the muddled picture. No, he doesn't say... Fuzzy, th- the
0: fuzzy, th- the fuzzy, no. s- fuzzy screen that we have. Our experience of... not uh, fuzzy screen is a visual image I shouldn't... Get, right? He thought our existence is thin. He doesn't talk about our experience of reality being distorted. He thinks our experience of ourselves are distorted.
1: Okay, so. Either way, if, yeah. if, our, if our experience of ourselves is distorted, yeah. then for him to say that in order for something to be to be Torah, then he must assume that we have an experience of reality that is divorced somehow from self experience. Yes. He seems to how think
0: work? Right, he seems to think that the most reliable thing we have is our experience is our is our experience of the world.
1: But how is that different from self experience, which is distorted? It's, it's, it's inner versus outer. It's yeah,
0: I, I, right, he seems to take right, it, it is, it is, he seems to take the position that sense, which many people do, the sense experience is right is okay. right is ultimately the most reliable thing we have. Okay, um, and that self consciousness is right. less reliable than that, and intellectual right. So, the, so the first test always is does it match that? That seems to be his, his yeah. epistemological. Um, it's very it's a very coolly complex philosophic, yeah. Um, notion, and I suspect that he really is quite. Uh, I think I had other places where he was very, where he was explicit about this, where he actually read, um, he actually read philosophy fairly seriously. Um, and I think that I, I don't think, I don't think that I'm necessarily projecting when I put when, right, when I put all the the, I'm not putting you know, in you know, late twentieth century when I put in think, when I put in the same kind of materials that is familiar with into him. I think that he knew it too. Okay. So right so it's all so, right, so ultimately what he says what he says is that the way to arrive at the truth of Torah is to try and find something which is in which creates perfect correspondence between your reading of your interpretation of Torah, your experience of the world, and your knowledge of yourself, of which your experience of the world is probably the most reliable. On the other hand, your experience of the world is uh doesn't is of shallow, so you can't get everything through that. Okay, so I will here I will say that you know that uh, I have always found this a really really powerful vision of right, this this triangle, where no single method gets you truth, but that you but that you're constantly evaluating what you're saying in light of all th- right, three. Is it true? Is it true in the text? Does it work for me, right, does it work for me as something that is the will of God, and does it work? And does, it describe, does it describe the world accurately, does it achieve the purposes of law um, well? And each of these is controversial, um, because you can say the self introduces subjectivity, uh, interpretation is always subjective, and who says the experience of the world matters, let alone that you have it accurately? But I, I think that the, the solution he comes up with that there is no single method, but that having three different sources ultimately is the epistemological, and testing them against each other um, is, the, is the, the ultimate epistemological process, seems to me like a very powerful way of thinking about what truth in Torah should be. So now he gets to the question you all have. He says, Another thing you have to know about this is, Even those people who merit reaching Amitah Shel Torah, meaning they achieve, Perfect correspondence between self, world, and Torah. oh. there's still the possibility of machloket, how do we solve it? It says, "Ki ator hakdusha sheyisod Rasha esrasha talah hakadosh parachu bivchir hayotzrim kema she neemara tam shilei v'maseyadecha she machshav tam anu kof ad tametsiut ametsiut abriat liaba." Now we get circular. The solution to machloket halacha is that, in fact, God creates the world in accordance with anyone who achieves, right? And anyone, anyone, anyone who achieves the truth of Torah ends up determining the world. Now, that seems very hard to square with the notion that the test of truth is correspondence to the existing world. All right? So he has to end up with a more complex cycle, that um, that you right that you match. You ma- that you can come up with, that there are multiple visions of Torah that correspond to the world as it is, right? and this here, this will finish with this. Right, this is um, uh, Occam's Razor. To me, is a really cool thing. Do uh, you all know Occam's Razor? Occam's Razor is the thesis that uh, if you have multiple explanations of the same set of data, you should choose the one that involves the um, the existence of the fewest entities. Now, here's, the, here's the, the, the best illustration of this, uh, for that one I like to use. What causes, um, let's say, uh, smallpox? So you might think that smallpox is caused by a virus. I don't think smallpox is caused by a virus. I think smallpox is caused by a demon. Now, you will tell me. But every time I have smallpox, there's this virus present. And let's assume that constant conjunction is the same as, right? Right, constant conjunction. So it seems like an argument for causation. The answer is no, 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 you don't realize it. You don't, you're not, That's not true. That's because this demon feeds on smallpox virus. So obviously the demon causes smallpox, and the, right, the, the, presence of the, the presence of the virus is not coincidence, right? But it's also not causal. Now, other people disagree with me, and they think that what causes smallpox is not a demon, but a metademon. Right, which feeds on demons that eat smallpox virus, <laughs> and other people obviously think that it's caused by meta-meta demons, <laughs> and uh, and so and so on and so forth. Now, each of these, there is no logical reason to prefer one of these explanations over another. They all explain the data exactly well, and there is no there is no piece of data that fits with one of them better than the other.
2: What the, the cells that are bacterial cells. Side, your body cells that are broken open that you see virus uh, DNA that they injected into it
0: no no but I, I'm, I'm sure that I can show you how it just appears that right, the virus is really it's the demon's coming in behind the virus right but they're almost simultaneous Or the, the virus yeah also right that right whatever you, the demons could be the waste product, right virus the virus could be the waste product of a particular demon it is not hard to do this um and what that shows you right, is that really there are always an infinite array of logical explanations for the same set of data. Occam's razor is, is right, for me, right, it tells you that fundamentally, fundamentally the um, truth decisions are aesthetic decisions, not logical decisions. Logic can never, right? Logic can never distinguish among an infinite array of, of true explanations of the data. But you can test it, right? What, right? The differentiate, the differentiation, the way you can test whether it's the demon, or the, the demon, or the virus, is by you can create a circumstance in the, in the next moment where you have a demon and no virus, and a virus and no demon, and see what happens. It happens to be hard to test for us in that particular case, but that's how we usually do, engage in science. Right, now, the way I like to pick this example, because you understand that 200 years ago, right, it wouldn't have been postulating demons, it would have been postulating some in, invisible, in, invisible small animals right, called viruses. They would have looked at me and said, "What viruses? Oh, there's no, there's no right. You're making up stuff that we can't test, right? Obviously, it's the humors. Right? So demons are no demons nowadays are are, are in the same position as Mike, right as um as uh, viruses. Viruses were 150 years ago. So you should realize that there's no logic, right? Not, it wasn't logically compelling, right? It was no just we we thought then we should explain it without viruses because why what, what, we needed viruses? And we think now we should explain it without demons. Okay, so the um, so if you understand that there are always an infinite array of explanations of the existing data and the only way to test which of those explanations is correct is through subsequent experience so now you understand how you can have a machloket and the machloket if all of them are true right, so, they, right, so the, 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 the argument is right, the, what the nafkamina the is, how the world turns out next Right, so a machlokit about the past, right, they can both be true, because they both they both adequately explain the data of the past, and whichever will be paskin, that's how the world will develop. Right, so that's why there can be a machlokit, but the machlokit is intellectual, and when it's paskin, that will determine what the world is, because the next the, the next shita will right will have to build on the data that it has in the Torah as it is. I think that's his ultimate his ultimate thing. He doesn't claim that Torah that Torah determines the past. But he claims that Torah determines the future. That's what he thought. St- that istakil Vara alma is an ongoing process. That whichever explanation human beings determine is the right. Whether we decide that pneumonia is caused by viruses or demons or metademons, whichever one we decide, that's how God will create the world. As long as we came up with an explanation that adequately accounted for everything about the world in the past. Okay, that's really, really fancy. I don't know that I have to follow him all that, uh, follow him that far, but I thought it's obviously right. That all, of you get, all of you immediately get that the problem of this theory is, uh, right, is pluralism. Um, so I think that's my best explanation of how he accounts for it. He accounts for it by distinguishing between, uh, between retrospective explanations, which can be pluralistic, and prospective explanations, which will end up always being mutually exclusive. Uh, uh, because one of them will have turned out to be true. Um, as to what happens while well, we haven't decided the halakha. so that presumably is what quantum, quantum mechanics is for. Um, right? And when we pass it, we collapse the wave function. And we determine which reality which reality is correct. Um, okay, that's the intellectual fun. The point I want to get out of it, because I think this this is a big part of what I'm trying to get you to have in the Torah and in the program, and what I want your it to be, is that notion that you come up with a you come up with an explanation of, with a vision of Torah that is a profoundly honest reading of the text that you can honestly say, this is what I believe God wills, and that works in terms of human psychology and, um, and law. And whatever you think, as the, you see, as the purposes of Torah, the, which whether that be the preservation of Am Yisrael, the, the, the multiplication of Torah, the, right, the, right, the expansion of Torah, the promotion of the promotion of social justice, whatever it may be, right? That's what. I, that's what. I, ideally, you come out with something about which you can, as much as possible, you can say, um, you can say all those things. And as you're thinking, you're constantly saying, so right, testing yourself to say, what do I really believe are the purposes of Torah in the world? And what and who am I and who am I really, as um, right as a student of Torah. Thank you very much for an awesome first week.